0: Everybody, I'm Nicole Lossi and this is Shop Talk. Right now we have the final installment of our three-part deep dive with Zach Flock, Jessica Flock, Elena Manchester, and Sean Clerkin, a series we are affectionately calling Much Ado About Shakespeare. If you haven't checked out the first two parts, you're missing out on some great conversations, so you should definitely give them a listen. And you can also jump in with part three, which starts right now.
1: Well, you know what, I have found, I, I wanted to jump in here too because I wanted it, I, one of the things that, well, what we're talking about are the things that we do well and I really appreciate, um, uh, the, the kindness that we show ourselves and one another. I also want to, I want to talk about some of my weaknesses as well. And it's, uh, and part of this is, and it, it's interesting as, is as um, I've changed and as I've developed as a director over the past 35 years, which is about as much time as I've spent directing, which is kind of bizarre. But the the thing that surprises me is um, how how difficult it is generationally to talk to new groups of actors and to meet. Them meet people's needs um I, I have trouble for example with actors who ask too many questions and i don't have the patience that talking with them that elena does I, you know sometimes it's like i, I go back to my to the, the the comment that michael joyce had said um two things he said you know one, one was that you americans subscribe to the conspiracy of mediocrity you're afraid to tell each other what you really think and because of that, you always just kiss each other's butts and nothing gets any better, but, which I think is true. And the other thing he said is, you Americans overthink things. Why don't you just like, learn your lines and don't into the furniture? And we hear that from people all the time. And so sometimes an actor will ask me a question about well, like the, the current trend recently about stage violence and also stage intimacy. And I, I really appreciate the, the attention given to those things. And for for 20 years of my life as a director, we just did it, but we did it, I, I'd like to believe we did it carefully. But now it's to the point where it needs to be managed in a way that I just don't have the patience sometimes to, to, to even take the time to do it. Um, I know it needs to be because that's where we are right now, and it's very important um, for those for, for, for that affirmation and also for the protection of the actors and also the protection of the audience so that everybody's comfortable. Um, I know all of the language and I know, but I just I sit there and go, uh, this is your this is your job. You're an actor. So sometimes I have difficulty stepping in as a director and doing something that I, I think is an actor's job. Uh, so my patience kind of runs really thin on times like that, you know, with Nevermore, for example, um, the, the, the way that the actors just they I, I tried to help them. But it, it, we needed they needed to have somebody who they trusted to walk through it. And that was both um, that was really challenging for me because it kind of made me feel as if I was incapable of doing that. And in fact, I'm not capable of doing it because I don't really have the patience to do it. You know what I mean? And so that's part of part of my um part of my my area of challenge. I also think the difference right now in terms of leadership. When I came of age as a director and also was trained, the director was the captain of the ship. And if the captain of the ship said do something, it's the way it was done. I mean, we were Gen Xers, and that's and we we we, we defied authority, but we also respected authority in the same way. Now the way that uh, leadership happens within millennials and gen gen z's there's much more collaboration you know the director is is on even st- on an even table with everything and there's a part of me that really likes that because i've always been that kind of director of you know engagement and collaboration but ultimately i, I still fall back on because i said so well
2: and i do think it's a balancing act right because you know i always kind of say it's a collaboration until it's not you know, that yeah. that, it, that you reach a point, And I've told cast that, you know, in the process too, that we're going to reach a point in the process where I'm going to just have to say, I respect your opinion. I appreciate your input, but we're two weeks out or wherever that date seems to fall in that process. And I just need you to do it this way. And and I give credit to actors who who understand that and who Respect the roles that we all have and so you know, it's a collaboration until it's not a collaboration anymore um, I will say if we're if we're talking, you know about our own weaknesses, I'll say I think one of my weaknesses, um is that because You know, we're nine years into drama shop and there's so much to do and we're plugging along I think you sometimes reach a point where you're directing a show because it's your turn to direct the show and you're not maybe inspired by that particular piece or you are, but you don't necessarily have that much, that big of a creative spark. And so in some ways you find yourself going through the motions. And so I think that's one thing that, that I have found myself slipping into a couple of times. And then I do have to step back and go, okay, how do I correct this? How do I course correct? And how do I make sure that I'm giving this cast and crew what they need yeah
3: that's a tough one for sure I think um for me I think it goes back to like uh I still feel like an outsider in the whole thing I feel like uh like the fraud police are gonna show up at any moment and be like oh my god you went in the wrong room you're not supposed to be here and I'd be like ah that makes sense I don't belong here so like um Less so with Shakespeare, because Shakespeare, I think I've found like a footing. Um, but with like classic, classic musical theater, I will always feel like I'm not supposed to be here. The <laughs> Ida can't direct this because I'd have to bring in outside people to handle all aspects of this. And I didn't do my homework enough growing up. I didn't grow up in this world of theater. I did, I was, a, I was a sports kid. I don't know, do a fan kick. I don't know. So like, <laughs> classic, classic theater. I still feel like such an outsider. I didn't have that. I didn't like eat my vegetables growing up or something. Like I don't have that. And, um, and it does leak into Shakespeare. Like if it's not one of the top 10 Shakespeare produced Shakespearean plays, then I feel like I don't know it well enough and I don't know what to do. So
2: it's kind of surprising to hear you say that, because I feel like the shows that I've most enjoyed that you directed are shows that like I knew nothing about and that I don't think you necessarily knew a lot about, but because you kind of had to dig in and come up with something, you Mm -hmm. find something really cool and really unique to say with it.
3: Yeah, I've been like, um, I think part of just my history has been, I've often been handed pieces where people are like, I don't know what to do with this, so figure it out. And I liked that because the bar was low, right? It's like, nobody knows what this is. So I could, to- this could be a total pile of crap. And it'll be great. Um, but then, uh, hopefully it wasn't a pile of crap. And through that, I found my own sort of method. I just never felt at home and I just didn't feel right in the whole like, have your 16 bars prepared and learn this dance, like that. The game was, I was not, I was rigged or something. The game was not my game, so I created a different game. But I will never, I, I I that'll probably be like the next thing I need to tackle, right? Like I need to direct, I don't know, like- Carousel. Please don't make me direct that, anybody here? Who's
4: going to make music, man? Well,
1: you know, it's, yeah, oh. it's interesting. Shows like that are just really, they're, they're hard to, what do you do with, I mean, even Romeo and Juliet, what do you do with Romeo and Juliet today? I, you, you have to, but we can't throw the baby out with bathwater, you know? I right. mean, that's the challenge of doing everything written before hashtag me too. Hashtag times up, times up. Everything oh, yeah. before that has to be, it doesn't have to be thrown out, but it does not have to be reframed, at least during this moment.
4: I, I think, um, but So I think my, probably my, my biggest sort of consistent stumbling point, whether it's Shakespeare or anything else, is that it's kind of the exact same way I am in my personal life. And that I am really exceptionally patient with bullshit until I'm not. And when we <laughs> true.
2: That I'm That's not,
4: true. There, we're not turning the car around. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Like, we're not. I will. It's the is the Richard the Third thing when the we got to up to final draft. and I was like, You screw that speech up one more time. it's gone. It's done. We're not talking about it. This is not up for discussion. like I am very, very patient and then, but I don't think there are enough road signs that are like you're coming up on the point where i'm you're you're about to get to the limit with me, and I don't know that I give people enough warning right before they like At the stop sign, and it's like, what? What do you mean? Like, this is suddenly a big deal, and you're actually very pissed off about this. And it's like that came out of nowhere. But in my mind, I'm like, I don't know how you didn't clock my rising irritation with this. (laughs) No, I have the tendency to kind of abruptly slam on the brakes, and when I'm done, I'm done and
1: i wonder if that's the irish in us because i i yeah i have that kind of moment where i just kind of blow up i just I, you just kind of hit the wall and just go i can't hide this anymore it just has to come out
4: and I and it's
1: never it's it's never personal and it's but yeah. it's always but it's always real you yeah. know what i mean
4: so yeah i i don't think i give people enough warning when we're coming up on my absolute limit and then we get there and suddenly it's like holy shit!
2: i've seen you both hit that limit <laughs> And it is terrifying.
4: No, you're very scary. <laughs> I've been in the room once, I think, when Sean hit the limit. And it was like, Oh, oh no. Because everybody was like, Oh yeah, happy smiley Sean. And then like it was a very rough rehearsal of Nevermore, actually. And two of the cast members that were like just, I don't know, tittering off to the side, and you were like, No, 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 we're not doing that right now. And I was like, Oh my God, everybody <laughs> I'm like, and then, then the Catholic girl in me is like, "Oh my God, everybody stop! He's mad." He's mad at all the fuck now.
1: Does anybody else do that? I mean, uh, Jen, I, I don't think I've ever seen Zach blow up or, or Elena blow up.
2: I don't know that I've ever blown up at a cast. I think the closest I, I, what I tend to do, and and oh God, I am my father in so many ways. Um, <laughs> is that I will reach a point where I the frustration the anger the everything has has hit that breaking point but I don't blow up and yell. I remember during Title of Show um we got to a point and Sean I don't know if I think you and Roberta were there accompanying us at this point um, mm-hmm. and and it was it was beginning of tech week for Title of Show and I'm going to name these actors by name because I love each of them dearly. And, and I There were
4: only four of us there. Yeah,
2: it was Jess. It was my <laughs> wife. Uh, we weren't married yet, but we were together at that point. Dom Del Greco, Becca Coleman, and Evan Opolka. Four people yeah. who, who I have very high opinions of as performers and of individuals. And I remember the rehearsal went very badly and people didn't know their material. And... I, at the end of rehearsal, I did yeah. my notes and I gave all my notes. And then I said, here's the thing. If I seem frustrated, it's because I am. If I seem frustrated, it's because I know if this were an eerie playhouse show, you guys would be ready.
4: I remember you saying that. And I was like,
1: I remember that. Yeah.
2: And, and I, you know, that's not a slam against the playhouse at all. That no, speaks but to true. the level all of. Four
4: of us. Like doing a musical at the Playhouse just carried a different weight at that time than doing a musical at Drama Shop in terms of.
1: Well, I mean, and like and there's also and, and sometimes and, and there's there's a sense of self shame too at the Playhouse that if you're not keeping up with 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 the with the premiere, then then you're not doing your job, you know, and that's that's um and that's a reality. I mean, that's, that it, that's definitely a reality. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and sometimes the, 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 the social aspects of, of our productions, it's not that they're not artistic, but sometimes the social aspects become more important than, than the work. And, uh, and we need to be reminded, Zach, what you did yeah. that day. You just said, it's about the work, y'all. I mean, yeah, we're having a really good time, but it's about the work, and the work deserves the attention.
2: And And it it was Monday and we were ready to, we were opening on Friday, whether they were ready or not.
4: We had all unconsciously put the drama shop show on the very last burner instead of, like, Mm. mixing it up a little bit. And the result was, like, speaking volumes, um, which none of us, it wouldn't have been a conscious choice, but none of us would have done that if we had been in, like, one of four, like, they're all lead roles at the playhouse not yeah. a lot of us would have
2: yeah when you have four equal ensemble roles and none of the four are prepared that's a problem <laughs> and so i said
4: i only backburnered it
2: so i think i went i went into that classic like i'm not angry i'm just disappointed was my kind of you know i didn't blow up <laughs> but i made it clear that we were not where we should be at that point
1: point. and that that guild is just as bad Oh, I'm not angry. Yeah. I'm just disappointed.
2: <laughs> and you know, <laughs> Lena,
1: what
3: are you you've just like, been
1: you're so quiet, Lena.
3: I'm trying to think of how how I how I get a, what I do. I know um inebriated actors is a problem for me. Yeah.
2: I got yeah. No time for that. Oh, that's a non-starter for me. Yeah, I, don't, that, I don't care. I don't run
3: into that. I've lost my mind about that, but it mm-hmm. I would. I managed to pull them off to the side before I lost my mind. So I was pretty proud about that. But I think like um, people not knowing their lines. But I think like because it's I have like a certain regimen usually going that it um, I could be kind of snarky in a in an action sort of way. If that makes sense. I'll be like, do it again. <laughs> right. Call for line. Do it again. Do it again.
4: And I've seen you get mad with like the, when you first, when you directed seminar and you were taking us through a vocal warmup and I admittedly, it was one of the ones that was like, (laughs) I don't need to do vocal. (laughs) Like obviously not out loud, but like behaving like an idiot like that. I am exactly the kind of actor I would never want to direct, by the way. I'm just gonna put that out. out I don't out. remember that
3: <laughs> show at all. Like I, that's I, all these talks I, are showing me. I have no
4: memory. But you were you would talk about it and you would say like, um and this might have even gone back to when you were auditioning for grad school and you would talk about going to Urs and you're like and I'm like, you know, doing warm-ups and getting ready to go in the room or whatever and you're like and I get so pissed off looking at these people are around me that aren't warming up and I'm like oh are you special that you're not going to use your body for this audition like you don't have to warm up at all like you get <laughs> you I like zero in on like laziness and you like laziness. have no patience for it like that's where I that's really the only place I've seen you like you're not lazy as an actor at all like and I think that's one thing people don't necessarily realize and it's not knock you at all but you are I'm not comparing you to um Hermione here because you are not oh. um you're not talented because you wake up that way you're not nope. active because you work your ass off like you are talented by effort thank so you people that just coast and even if they're good if they're coasting and they could do better you have, you don't have time for that kind of mindset like you'll do your best to kind of inspire them but if it comes to a point where, like, a person is very obviously just like, uh, I don't have to do all that, like, because I'm just better than that.
2: And the crazy sense. frustrating thing of that is that the laziness, laziness in theater is often accompanied by entitlement. The misconception there is that because you got that spot on the cast list that now your work is done. Yeah. yeah, that's
3: And, yeah, and yeah. I think
2: the four of us would, would fundamentally agree that, no, that's when the work starts.
3: Yeah. I'm also not very good at casting, I think. Like, that's not something I'm naturally really good at. Um, I have a really hard time telling people no. And I do a lot of ensembles. So I'm like, we'll make a part for you. It's fine. And I had to learn to stop doing that. But part of that means I really think anybody could play anything. You just have to work at it.
1: I think that's the act acting teacher in you as well elena because you mm-hmm. you can bring that out of anybody you know as an acting teacher you'll find the, the way to to prompt that in the right way
2: and i'm not a teacher and i have no desire to do that come and in motivated to do the work i do love casting but Ugh. but uh, yeah for me i'm not i mean i'll try to motivate but like you've got to come in wanting to do the work it's not my job to get you to want to do the work Ugh.
4: but i'm like i'm not good at the I'm I'm really bad about it because as soon as I clock the entitlement or as soon as I clock what I perceive as the entitlement is when I tend to just mentally be like, okay, I'm done with you. Like, unless I need you to be better than you are and I'm going to drag you kicking and screaming, like, I'm going to tell myself you're not worth my time. I'm going to let you sink yourself in my show and I'm not going to cast mm-hmm. you again. And none of those are good habits to have. I gotta, I gotta have more patience or talk to people yeah. before I'm like, "Oh, that's I will to sink
3: this. my own show to teach you a lesson." <laughs> you yeah. So much act. of that
1: is also, I mean, the the this the actors themselves. I mean, when you when you post a cast list, you've pretty much determined the degree of success that 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 show is going to have. I mean, and, and you can you can grow anybody, and anybody can get better or learn, but. But there are so many things you are, just, you are just not going to be able to fix once that cast list goes up. It's interesting, in my directing class right now, we just talked about working with casts, and we, we talked about why, why directors are so hesitant after the second week of rehearsal to just say, mm, sorry, but I, I made a mistake, and you have to step down from that role. <laughs> or I've got to reverse the two of you, because, or something like that. you know. And we, we, we have a tendency, and I think part of that is also the civic nature. This is civic theater, so it really is a different thing. Um, but when you're in the professional world or even in an academic world where the where it's where there's a certain kind of integrity and i'm not saying that civic theater doesn't have integrity that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is that the the level of outcomes are very different and so the outcomes are 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 about training professionals and training artists and uh, and not necessarily other things as well so so i don't i don't know sometimes sometimes as a director uh, you know you, you you get to you you get to that place where you go oh my gosh i totally screwed this up and uh, we have a tendency just to either do what you did, Je- Jess, and I'm right with you. Sometimes you just go, oh,
2: you're, you're fine. You're
3: just fine.
2: Does anybody have any, on the acting side of things, any favorite Shakespeare roles that you've gotten to play?
3: Oh, I loved playing Macbeth. I loved it. And I would love to play Lear. And I would like to play Tamara. But yeah, I, I, I like any Shakespeare that is active. If I'm working with a director who understands that it's an active thing and that it's we can play with it, then I'm, I'm good. My, I really, really liked being in uh, Midsummer Night's Dream at the Hippodrome in Florida. And I was a young lover and I had no idea how to do that. And that was really fun to try and figure out how to play my age.
4: I only ever played Titania, other than moth, that one word, hail. I've only ever played <laughs> Titania in Shakespeare.
1: I loved playing the Duke in Measure for Measure and uh I, I thought he was really it was I, I enjoyed that. That was in grad school. I also really enjoyed um Winter's Tale. I played um The King and I can't remember his name. And uh but but there was something really fabulous about that role. Um the anger, the the jealousy, the rage, and then the redemption that comes at the end when he essentially uh, kind of in a Pygmalion way, wishes his wife back to life, it, it, and and apologizes for his horrible jealousy and that that caused uh, such a such a schism in their lives and in the lives of their community. I just, I just, I think Winter's Tale is really a beautiful play.
2: I think I've only actually done. I mean, I I subbed in for one night of Richard III in Sean's role, as we talked about in a, a previous podcast. and you were
1: fabulous.
2: Well. That book I was reading had all the right words written down, which worked out really well. (laughs) Um, And then I played a role in uh, Merry Wives of Windsor and I don't even remember the character. I'm sorry. Um, And then, but I think my favorite hands down would have to be Puck. Um, It just, it's such a like free, you know, go for it kind of role. And it is, it's one of those, it was after I had played the MC in Cabaret and I feel the same way about both of those roles, which is like physically I was right for those roles, but I didn't have the fearlessness as an actor that I do mm. now, I think. I mean, once the show starts and the five minutes before a show, as anyone who's done a show with me will attest, I'm terrified. Um, but once the show starts, I-, I think I have this fearlessness that I, I definitely didn't have when I was you know, 20, 21 years old. So if if you had to put drama shop in a box which I know we try not to do as far as what we are as a company But I think most would would peg us as a contemporary company And yet here we are spending you know all this time talking about Shakespeare So my question to all of you is what is the benefit of? Studying and performing and doing and talking about Shakespeare um, and how does that impact us as artists in general who then go out into the world and, and do all sorts of different theater.
4: I mean, like, just from a tech standpoint, there's a reason why we're still reading these things. There's a reason why they're still part of the curriculum when this stuff was written in the 1600s. And there's a lot of things you could pick apart as it's continued relevance. But, I mean, the, the reality is, is that uh, having the sort of being able to comprehend Shakespeare, at least, to watch a performance or to engage in a performance, you're gonna find the foundation of a lot of modern stories because so many, so many modern stories are just, they end up being kind of adaptations of uh, Shakespeare. And I mean, even in things like Lion King, it's like Hamlet with lions. So the fact that we're still able to adapt these stories and make them new and interesting and relevant. And like, we're literally never gonna stop spinning the wheel on Romeo and Juliet, no matter how much I wish we would just let that one die. That one will never die um and it's because it's a good story and it's well told it's interesting the characters are interesting and there's um there's just continued cultural relevance because we've all agreed to continue to ascribe cultural relevance to it i think you could get kind of metaphysical with it It, and its ability to mean something stand on its own little legs and just like mean a thing um And that's an interesting way to look at it because we can't dig Shakespeare up and confirm that, A, you wrote all of this by yourself. um, And we can't get into his brain and ask him, why did you write these things and what was your intent and what were we supposed to take away from it? We just know sort of historical context clues that would tell us the way that we interpret things. But a lot of times that's also going to be wildly different from the way modern audiences view stuff, such as with Romeo and Juliet. Those contemporaries would not have been watching that thinking like, oh, wow, this is a really great love story. They would be like, this is a tragedy. Those The adults aren't the ones killing each other in that story. It's the teenagers. And this is really tragic and terrible and stupid um, that all of this death is occurring. But at any rate, um, I think we've all agreed as a culture that these stories continue to be relevant. They continue to say something about the universality of human experience. And as long as that's the case, we're going to keep there's value in continuing to revisit them and reframe them. Like Sean has already mentioned in this current moment, um, there are some pretty problematic stories, particularly All's Well That Ends Well has a very problematic, uh, sexual plotline that, uh, if you're gonna pick it up today, you better, you better be prepared to approach the reframing, and I think that's something Drama Shop is not afraid to do.
3: If you can do Shakespeare, you can do anything you know if if you can make a language that is uh, basically a different language and act through it and embrace the poetry and not shy away from it and make it immediate and uh embrace the archetypes you can do anything i think
1: yeah, i agree I mean, shakespeare was a freaking genius he put it all in it's all there 36 plays and everything everything is there i mean the the entire human experience is there and so i i it's it's so exper- i think it's so important for for people to embrace that and just to I mean, and sometimes it's just okay to say, you know, 400 years ago there was this genius, and he wrote these great plays, and and it and it's worth our time to keep. It's worth our time. It's worth our effort. It's worth our humanity to keep those stories alive.
2: And I think it makes us better artists by doing work that challenges us in different ways, that forces us mm. to flex different muscles. You know, I've largely directed contemporary realism over the last nine years. And every now and then it's useful to go in there and do something that is so outside of that wheelhouse because it does force you to develop new skills, to learn new things and to try different things. Um, You know, when we Mm -hmm. talked before about our strengths and weaknesses and I mentioned that, you know, I I worry about going into a show uninspired. You can't go into a Shakespeare show uninspired. I've done it, it doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so, to me, it's that idea that we always have to keep challenging ourselves. And I hope that maybe some folks are listening to this who maybe haven't done Shakespeare before. And when auditions roll around for the next Shakespeare show in town, whether it's Shakespeare Summer Nights or someone else doing a production, I hope that folks who haven't done Shakespeare before take that leap and audition and don't just think, oh, I don't do Shakespeare. It's all theater. It's all the same. Try it, and I guarantee you will get something out of it. Well, hey, thank you all so much for, for talking well, about William everybody. Shakespeare.
0: Thank you. I enjoyed our
2: conversation.
0: And that brings to an end our three-part ode to Shakespeare. Thanks again to our expert panel, Sean Clerkin, Elena Manchester, and Jessica Flock, and of course, Drama Shop artistic director, Zach Flock. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, where you can find our complete library of episodes. Shop Talk is the official Drama Shop podcast and produced by me, Nicole Lossie, and sponsored by Gannon University Schuster Theatre. As always, thank you for supporting Drama Shop, theatre in process.